Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Tool Shed. This is episode 149 of the Fantrax Tool Shed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store today. And with me, as usual, is my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, are you excited to talk about some dynasty risers and followers today? Yeah, you know, I've been working through uh, my update. I know you've recently put yours out, and this is you know, always one of the best times because as the season's wrapping up, like it's time to really, you know, dig in and evaluate and, you know, find these guys that may be underappreciated and we've uh, moved up and down rankings and, you know, it's a, a tough, I always struggle with dynasty rankings, I think more than prospect rankings, but you know, the, the time put in, it makes it worth it. And uh, then especially when, you know, the readers appreciate it. So it's always fun to do. And so we can talk about it in audio form today as we've, uh, obviously got rankings out and you know, mine aren't out as of now but they're working on it and they're out on our patreon at least so you can find them there and they'll be out to the public uh fairly soon but yeah it's gonna be good to uh to break it all down yeah absolutely and that's one of the great perks about our, our patreon you know even if you're just the lowest you know our 50 grade tier you get you now we, we usually put out you know a day ahead of time two days ahead of time whatever you know, a little sneak peek top 200 of it sometimes the top 400 whatever it may be, and that's for just like I said, everybody that's a Patreon subscriber. And if you're a 70 grade, which is the third tier up, you, you can look at our rankings 24 7, 365. We update them frequently, at, at least weekly, often more than that. So that's a fun little perk. So you can see, you know, if they wait another month, month and a half, whatever it is for us to post on Fantrax HQ, you can check them out right there. But yeah, this will be a fun episode. Before we get into that, though, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross04. And our show's at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out that Patreon for extra content from both of us. And of course, check out all the other great work from the entire team over at Fantrax HQ. And lastly, play all your leagues on Fantrax. Move your leagues over. A lot of fun stuff where we're constantly working on upgrading the platform, upgrading our, you know, mobile experience for, for the app and Try to make it more user friendly for everyone. You know that that ease. Everyone loves that ease, and uh, so movie leagues over to fan tracks. You know we got all the sports: baseball, basketball, football, hockey, golf, NASCAR, EPL, everything. <laughs> every college fantasy football. Yeah, I think it's nine, ten sports. I know I'm missing one or two in there, but yeah, whatever you want to play, we got you on fan track. So. Obviously, go check out Fantrax if you don't already play all your leagues there already. All right, let's get into it now. As we usually do in these kind of riser and follower type of episodes, we get the followers out of the way first. Then we talk about the the fun little risers here on the second half of the show. Let's start with pitchers here, Chris. And now some of these guys we've talked about, obviously, we, we talk about a lot of these guys at, at various points throughout the season, but... Let's start with Walker Bueller here. Obviously, he's probably the, the biggest name on this list here. And 
I think so. I think since the last time you and I both had our our uh, public on site update, that was before the Tommy John news kind of uh, was announced. So that was another drop here, and you know he dropped to the he's still top one hundred for me, barely. I think he's in the late 80s or so but outside of my top i think he's right around like sp 24 25 so obviously he's been you know like a top 10 caliber pitcher for you know the last handful of years this year was kind of meh before the injury how much of the that played into his performance who knows but this is now a second tommy john surgery for walker bueller and it's gonna cost him to not be back until he's see he's 28 now so he's gonna be if not 30 close to it next time he gets back on a mound. So that dreaded 30 mark here, Chris, uh, you know, where did, where did Bueller fall to for you? Is he still top 100? And is he a guy you'd look to buy right now? Well, the, the price is pretty low or you know, low compared to what it was, or is there just too much concern for you coming off the second TJS? He dropped to 92 for me, which is a fairly significant drop from 38 in my last uh, public update on fan tracks. And, you know, the buying opportunity is interesting. I'm not completely out on that, but typically when we look at guys with Tommy John, I'd prefer to wait a little bit longer until there's some more fatigue. Like we know he's not going to pitch, you know, next season most likely at all. So if you can, buy him like mid-year next year like somebody at that point's probably getting tired of holding him on their roster right and maybe you know injuries have mounted up and they need the il spot and they know they're not going to get anything out of him so i think at that point the fatigue set in enough where you can buy him probably even cheaper than right now so you know i think there's the the buying opportunity now but i think the buying opportunity could be even greater when we think about you know mid next year and you know it's kind of the case where we saw like with uh, Dustin May or Tyler Glass now this year is they were like if you would have bought in on them in like June you probably could have got the best deal for them just because of the fatigue that had, had really taken place at that point so yeah I'm 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 fine buying it on Bueller I'm not sure we'll ever see him be you know that elite type arm that we've seen before there's just some issues in the arsenal and he can fix it. I mean, his fast, his four team has some issues. It's fixable, but you also have to wonder how he comes back from Tommy John. You mentioned he'll be nearly 30 next time he pitches again. So all those things, there are question marks in my opinion, but I would buy at the right cost. Now, would you rather buy, you know, someone like Bueller or someone like Giolito, who is right around the same age, they're both 28. Obviously Giolito is not hurt right now, just pitching just atrociously and, you know, it just – he keeps getting worse. It's like you think, like, all right, he can't get any worse than this. He's going to, you know, pick it up, t- turn it around, right the ship here eventually. Then you, you look, and he has a 6.04 ERA since the All-Star break across 10 starts compared to 469 before the All-Star break in 16 starts, you know, with, you know, a strikeout rate below 25%, now, well below 25%, around 22 23% now, which is just not very – G. Little like because even before the also break, he still had a K rate of you know in the 26 27 percent range, which is a pre- still pretty solid. So, would you rather go after someone like Giolito who's just pitching poorly, or would you rather take a chance on, on Bueller? Probably rather take a chance on Bueller just because I feel like if I go get Giolito, then 
I can't really do much with him. Like, I, I don't want to put him in my lineups at this point just because right. of how poor he's pitched. So it's almost a similar scenario where at least in most dynasty leagues, you know, you can put him on an IL. And so I'd rather not waste a bench spot on Giolito. And now Giolito could turn the corner. Like, that's, you know, definitely something that could happen. But right now, I'm just not really in on it to this point. Like, I'd rather I'd rather not take a shot on Giolito personally. Yeah. No, I hear you, man. And you know, it, it's you look at into the metrics with uh, Giolito, and you're trying to find some silver lining, right? Well, maybe he's been unlucky or, or whatever it may be, and you really don't see anything like that. You know, he, he's really a three pitch guy for for the most part, four seam slider changeup. Now, the the whiff rate on the changeup is actually up a little bit. But at the same time, so is the batting average against and the slug, which is basically up across the board. Whiff rates are down on both his four-seamer and the slider, which he uses you know, about you know, 71 72% of the time or so. And all three of those pitches have a batting average against of 264 or above, slug of 451 or above. He's just getting getting hit too frequently, too hard. And you know, the you know, the XERA is you know a bit lower, 437 compared to 518. But barrel rates up, hard hit rates up, walk rates up, K rates down, like I mentioned. You know, uh, whiff rate is also down 4%. Zone contact's up about 7%. So everything's kind of turning in the wrong direction. Do I think he's better than this? Yes. But is he going to return to, you know, the ace Giolito? I don't think so. Maybe he can get down to, like, you know, upper three ERA guy with a solid K rate. So still, like, maybe make an SP3 for fantasy. So I would... You know, I entertain buying low on both these guys, but yeah, at least with Bueller, like you said, you could stash him in the IL. You know, Giolito, you're like, all right, I either have to start him or use a you know waste a bench spot on him. So I, I would rather go after after Bueller, but I think both can you know are good opportunities right now to buy low on. But I guess it all, it all depends on price, obviously. Uh, that's for sure. I, I still want one. If someone's still asking for you know nearly the price that they would have you know three four months ago. Then no, I'm out. But if it's dropped a decent amount, then you know I would be opposed to uh, going to get one of these guys. Uh, two more pitchers on the list here, both former Oakland Athletics who are just struggling in their new, with their new teams here. Frankie Montas now with the Yankees, and Sean Manaya now with the Padres. I keep blanking on what team he went to. I don't think of Padres. I think of Sean Manaya for some reason. But Manaya has been absolutely atrocious here. Uh, with the uh, San Diego Padres. Okay, after having a 391 ERA with Oakland last year, went over to San Diego this offseason, 523 ERA across 139 and a third innings. It's really been unusable for most of the years. He, I think his ERA was like over nine since the All-Star break or, or damn close to it. And then Frankie Montas, since the trade, has just not been, again, not been good after leaving Oakland. He had three... 89 ERA in Oakland. Excuse me, 318 ERA, excuse me. And then it's 594 with the Yankees and seven starts. And I remember mentioning this, you know, back when we did, you know, we're kind of analyzing a lot of these deadline moves. I did not like Montas in Yankee Stadium. I think Montas is absolutely a good pitcher. I think he was a good pitcher that got elevated a bit because of the, you know, the spacious confines of the you know whatever they call the is it the o.co coliseum now or i have no clue it's it's, 
outside of like the Fenways and Yankees and Wrigley's and whatever, it's like Camden Yards, like all the other ones, they've changed so freaking frequently. It's hard to keep track. Um, but whatever they call it out there, obviously big, you know, big ballpark, huge foul territory. So I think he got aided a bit there and kind of probably was ranked higher than the talent level suggested. And going to Yankee Stadium, you don't have any of that. So, and, and Manaya, I just, I've never been a big Manaya guy. He's never, he's been fine. You know, uh, what's he, a career ERA, 408? He's okay. I think he, he was a guy that was always overvalued. You know, he's never had, you know, outside of that one really good year in 2019, which was very, very short, you know, he's been 450, 391, now 523 since then. So I've never been big on him. But are you, obviously, I think we both would agree that Montas is the better pitcher and better potential buy here. But are either one of them in general a, uh, a buy for you right now? No, not in particular. Montas, as you mentioned, I mean, pitching one of the better pitching parks and then going to Yankee Stadium is, you know, far from ideal. And you look at the differences between, you know, before he went over in Oakland and then to now, I mean, as you mentioned, a 3.18 ERA prior to the trade, and a 3.35 FIP, so really solid across the board. And then you see him get traded, and as you mentioned, a 5.94 ERA. And the FIP still discouraging at 4.52, uh, allowing a few more home runs. He's walking more, like – there's a lot of concerns, and I think there's also a lot of pressure with pitching in Yankee Stadium, especially with that fan base. I mean, yep. we've seen a lot of guys just go and struggle with that. And the Bronx isn't made for everybody, and you have to wonder, like, is, is he another one that's going to struggle? And he's got another year on his contract, so he'll be there next year. And I'm just not so sure, like, I really want to buy in all that much to Montas and Manaya. He's just not been good, as you mentioned, kind of across the board, just had a um, pretty rough year. You know, moving to a contender, I kind of wondered how he would you know, really fare, uh, but honestly not been much better since he was traded either, which you know does concern me to an extent. So um, I don't know. I'm struggling with either of these guys. Like Manai has just been not great at all this year, so – I'm kind of off of them both at this point, and I'm not sure how cheap they'd have to be for me to really want to go get one, but I would rather take a chance on Montas, I think, at this point. Yeah, me too. Like I said, I'm, I've, even when Manaya was at his best, I was never, ever a Manaya guy. So you'd have to basically like, here, here's Manaya for absolute nothing. Even then, I have to think about it because Sim Giolito, he's just hurting you right now, you know. ERA over five is just not valuable really in any format unless you are desperate for the volume, I guess. But, yeah, so Manaya, I'm just 100% Noah any part of right now. Never have, really, especially now. Montas, you know, he's he's with the Yankees, unless obviously they trade him. Uh, at least through next year, he'll be a free agent in 2024. So, yeah, at least, at least another, you know, year and a month here of him in New York. And I don't know, it, it is not just the – the change in ballpark over that obviously that's a big factor, but the change in division. You look at the the AL West, and you got Houston obviously when they're one of the top lineups in baseball. And Seattle's been you know getting there, but o- overall this year Seattle has not been like you know in the totality of things hasn't been a great lineup, maybe middle of the road. And then you got you know Texas has been kind of meh for the most part, and uh, the Angel obviously the Angels are just like Trout and Otani, then you know. 
a bunch of whatever after that. So then you go to the AL East, and there's a lot more hitters' ballparks in general. Every ballpark is, a, I think Tampa Bay is considered neutral, but then Boston is a hitter friendly uh, park. Camden is, obviously, Yankee Stadium is, and so is the Rogers Center. So you got all that. You got better lineups overall. If you look at the totality of each division. AL East is just has better quality hitting, you know, better hitters' parks. So it's, you get all that factored in. Uh, and then the home ballpark, you know, huge difference there. So I think, I don't know. Is I don't think he's going to be, you know, six ERA moving forward, but I, I wouldn't expect anything close to the Montas we've kind of come to know over the last handful of years. So if you can get him cheap, I'd be okay with it, but I don't, I don't want to, I think his price tag just because of the name and now he's a Yankee and that obviously factors in too. I think the price tag on him would be too high for my liking. I'm not opposed at the right price, but I don't think that right price will agree with my right price. All right. Moving over to hitters here. We got a, a fun little mix here of hitters, some veterans, some younger players, good little blend here. But let's start with we'll start with the veterans here. So that kind of would constitute Whit Merrifield, Brandon Lowe, and Javier Baez. You know, with with Whit, I think we all kind of figured that a guy like him, the the, the fall off would happen. Just, I don't think we thought it would be this drastic. He's at two thirty five this year after hitting. Let's see here. Uh, 277 last year, 282, 302, 304, 288, 283. Going back to 2016. Like, this is a guy that's always hit for high average and good stolen base totals. And, you know, you, you got some pop here and there. The average has dropped off. Now he's not even playing a ton with uh, with Toronto. He's playing, you know, kind of like half their games or so. Not really kind of what we expected from him when they acquired him. And he's there through at least next year, and then there's a mutual option for 2024. So at least another year, maybe two, we'll see. And Toronto's loaded, and they're going to stay loaded because all their prime pieces are really, you know, young players. So, Chris, is Wit? are we just – is Wit done? Like, the production's gone down, and I don't see him, you know, unless there's an injury or two, stepping into a – you know, back into a full-time 150-game-plus-a-year role, so – do you think there's any value left in Whitmerfield outside of like you know obviously deeper formats? I don't, and this was always the concern with this kind of profile, like how it ages, hmm. and you always want to get out at the right time. And this kind of like, I think that it, turning the page on a different and similar kind of player, Starling Marte might be one to get out on sooner than later, yeah, because of this similar profile, like good hit and speed. Now Marte has a little more power than Wit, but. With they're, they're about the same age too, I believe. Yeah, Marte's older actually. Merrifield is thirty three and yeah. seven was, months. Yeah, no, uh, Whitmer. Yeah, Whitmerfield's thirty. Yeah, he was born in January of eighty nine. Mm-hmm. And I'm pulling up. Marte I think Marte's here. older. He probably is. Uh, he is October of eighty eight. So he's yep. got him by about three months. Yep. So the biggest concern with me is the playing time in Toronto, as you mentioned. In a month and a half, he only has 74 plate appearances, which is a major concern. It's hard for a player to get into a groove when they're not playing regularly. And he's honestly been worse since he went to Toronto. It has a one home run, one steal, 203 average. Like you're getting nothing. And especially looking to get 261 slugs since he moved there, like 0.058 ISO. Like 
there's a lot of concerning things with wit and it's just always this profile with speed, good hit and little power. Like you just wonder always how they age. And unfortunately this is kind of the case. And overall you look at the profile and very similar zone contact to last year, very similar overall contact to last year. His overall contact is down about one percentage point from last year, but you know, those aren't numbers that, should see you drop this drastically in production. And, you know, last year we're looking at someone, you know, 10 home runs and 40 steals, but also over 720 plate appearances. And I think that's kind of the name of Witt's game is that he's a compiler. You just look at his plate appearances over the years since he first started getting full-time run in 2017, 630 plate appearances, 707, 735, Obviously, the COVID shortened year, 265, but that probably was every game. Yep, 60 games. And then last year, 720. So just the consistency. I mean, he didn't miss a game between 2019 and 2021. So that's where you were getting a lot of production from. And without the regular run and the decline in skills, it's easy to be out on wit. So hopefully you got rid of him in a dynasty, but if not, I don't know what you do with him because he, you're not trading him again much for him. Maybe you hope he goes on a, a steal streak and people are like, oh, I need stolen bases. And obviously most trade deadlines are passed, but maybe in the offseason you could look to move him because I, I just don't want him on any teams at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't see a ton of value here outside of deeper formats for that speed. And that kind of is a good segue into, into Javier Baez because that's what kind of what I was thinking with, with Baez in terms of, his skill set, obviously, it's quite different from Whitmerfield, but just like that all or nothing, you know, low contact, high whiff, you know, kind of approach where it's very risky. And, yeah, you'll have your your definite – your peaks there. We've seen some really good years out of Javi Baez. You know, we, we saw, what, a 34-21 year back in 2018. It was a 29-11 year, 22-13. Um Actually, no, that was just with the Cubs 31-18 last year even. so. Yeah. But then you see how quickly that can fall off. You get a little older here. And he's still, he's still only 29, which is kind of ridiculous. I thought he'd be like 31, 32 by now. But you know, as you get older, get into your 30s, it's harder to, I think, really maintain that type of approach. You know, your bat speed just declines with age, you know, not exponentially, but just incrementally over time. So you look at sprint speed, 64th percentile. All of his, you know, quality of contact metrics are just really down quite a bit across the board. Barrel rate's down 6%. Average EV's down about 25 a little over 2 miles an hour. Hard hit rate's down about 8.5%. Oddly enough, the K rate's down 8.3%, which I just realized, and is, that's kind of odd and peculiar. I guess that's good. But at the same time, contact skills are still in the toilets. He's got 13 home runs, 8 steals, but as long as he's in... Comerica is it still called Comerica again I don't know I think it's still called Comerica <laughs> I think I don't know but obviously we've talked about that ad nauseum how that you know can limit power we saw it with, with Cassianos with Torque and others it's happening to Baez as well so maybe he can flirt with 2010 but that might be a ceiling nowadays in being a tiger with an average that's gonna hurt you with an OBP that'll hurt you even more 274 OBP this year, 302 for his career. I don't want any part of, of Baez. Are, are you there with me, or do you, do you see any type of value to be had here? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to have him on a couple rosters. And I have, I have too, yeah. I mean, 
So his at bats are just so atrocious to watch. And yeah, it's so. kind of shocking that his own contact rates actually up eight percentage points. Like that baffles me to see him up to 81.2% from 73.4 last year. Now the overall contact is not good because he's chasing more than ever. I mean, chase rate of nearly 50%. Like that's bad. Doesn't walk. As you mentioned the strikeout rates down the power's gone because he's playing in Detroit. Like, he's just – he can't do anything in Detroit. And you see powers app. I mean, Riley Green last night or yesterday hit one 423 to dead center and didn't get out. Like, it's just a bunch of junk when you look at that and see that happen. But it's the reality of the environment he's playing in. Yep. Now, Bias has been better in the second half. Like, I think we should be a bit encouraged about – especially this month, he's hitting 320. But still, I mean – how long does that last? He still struck out 16 times and 50 at bats, 52 plate appearances. So he doesn't walk at all and he's still striking out a ton. So with Baez, gosh, I don't even know where to rank him at this point because the power speed is really tantalizing. I mean, you mentioned 3118 last year. Like that's real value, especially with a 265 average. But on the flip side, like you also see the downside that we've seen this year in similar amount of plate appearances. So I don't know. Like I'm at a loss of what to do with him. And going into an age 30 season next year, it's it's really hard to say he'll get back to who he's been in the past. So kind of out on him as well. And I wish I had sold sooner on him in Dynasty. Yep. The I, I only had a couple of shares of him in Dynasty. And I was able to get rid of I think one or two. I still I think I still have one. It's just at this point, you can't get really anything for him. Nobody wants him. So it's just like hope for the best. Keep your fingers crossed, he provides you any sort of value, but yeah, I'm out on him too. Like I said, I think 2010s is cap right now. And like I said, that is still obviously valuable, but at what cost? Cause everything else is atrocious. I said, average OBP atrocious that basically offsets that 2010 potential or even more. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out on him as well. And yeah, I'm, I'm already out on both these guys, but Two other ones here that are more of the in the veteran here, Cabrian Hayes and and Brandon Lowe. You know, Hayes is one that's I have been up and down on him throughout his career. Whenever I get, you know, slightly up on him, he cools off. You know, and this year, obviously, you know, we talked about earlier in the year he was having that wrist injury, but the power just hasn't been there. Contact hasn't been there. But you look at well, I, let me say that. The you know, home runs have not been there, I should say. He still has, you know, 48 one hard hit rate, but only a 4.1% barrel rate because he just keeps pounding everything into the ground, 48.4% ground ball rate, which is actually better than last year, but he's just not getting that over defense power. He's not driving the ball in the air consistently, and that's that's really hurt him. He's got 17 steals, which helps, but he's only hitting 250 with a 320 OBP. Zone contact still good, 89% there. Uh, whiff rate's good, so he's one. Chase rate's good as well. He's one where I'd be still willing to buy because a lot of the the ingredients are there for him to, you know, be a you know maybe a, a twenty twenty ish type of guy from third base, which is incredibly valuable. So he's one that I think I would be looking to buy low right now. I think so too. Uh, you look at the overall profile, and I think there's still some things to like with Hayes. Um, he's hitting the ball hard, which is a great sign. I mean. You look, and those numbers are up a good bit from last year. When you look at his average EV first off and also his uh, max EV, 
his launch angle's even up. Like, that's a positive. But he's still just hitting the ball on the ground too much overall, and I think that's really hindering him. But we know that these type of players can tweak something and change it overnight. I mean, we're talking about somebody that makes elite contact. I mean, a 92.2% zone contact and an 81% overall contact. Those are really good numbers. Also positive that his ground ball rate, as I mentioned, is still high, but it's down, you know, over eight percentage points from last year. Like that's pretty significant. And really the weirdest thing with him is the home run to fly ball rate being down so low, which is that's actually trended upward, which has been a bit of encouragement to me to see. And he's getting hot. I mean, you look at his last few games and, you know, yesterday he had three hits and then two hits the night before, two hits the night before that, one hit, no hits, two hits. So like, He's really been heating up over the recent stretch. And to me, like that's an encouraging sign that we can take moving into next year. And this is why you got to pay attention in September. Why so many people check out, this is your opportunity to capitalize because people will miss some of these things. And it gives you an opportunity to buy in a dynasty league and even potentially buy low in a redraft league at a, at a good draft cost. But since August 1st, Hayes, well, only two home runs. He has six stolen bases and a 265 average. I'm encouraged to an extent, as I'm said, to see the progress, but I also want to see, you know, a little bit more. So maybe next year's the year that we really see it with him. The home run to fly ball rate, as I mentioned, has trended upward since August 1st, 9.5%. That's way up from what it was earlier in the year. So I do think that's pretty significant and something to track as we finish out the year. So Hayes is a goodbye. We're talking about a 25-year-old. He's never had prodigious power. He's never been kind of pegged as that. He's been a good hit in speed. He's a unique type of archetype for a third baseman. And I think he is going to get to 15 home runs next year, provide steals. 15-15 with a good average is valuable at third base, I think. so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we're on the same page there. All right, we have a, a cluster of young players here. I think uh, one, two, three, four, five on the list here that are all, you know, they all fit the same kind of mold, former top prospect pedigree that just have not found literally any success outside of maybe a week here and there at the major league level. So we'll lump these five together. And I think maybe, Chris, let's pick one out of these five to buy. If you had to, your gun to the head, had to buy low on one of these guys in Dynasty. And then the, the one you are just like 110% out on the most out of these five. So the names are Jared Kelnick, Vidal Brujan. Don't chuckle over there, Chris. I heard that. Uh, Jared Kelnick, Vidal Brujan, um, Jaron Duran, Joe Adele, Jesus Sanchez. So, again, there have been some brief glimmers of bright spots, like Sanchez had a bender earlier this year. Kelnick had last September. Duran, oh, not really for the middle. <laughs> they haven't really had much of any sort of even small bright spots, but – all right, one to buy low on out of those five, Chris, and the one you're out on the most. I think I'm out on Brujan the most. I think, obviously, blazing speed, good feel to hit. But I think the threshold with him is going to be so high for him to be fantasy relevant. You look, I mean, with the rule changes, I think we're going to see more stolen bases from a lot of guys. So it probably lowers his overall impact. The power is virtually none and I'm not sure he gets regular playing time in Tampa Bay he probably I I wouldn't bet on him being an everyday player personally and that's my concern so I think that he's gonna have to hit like 290 and have 30 plus stolen bases to be fantasy relevant 
but you're taking a, a zero at power with with Bruhan. So uh, I think Bruhan's the one I'm probably out on the most. Buying, that's a <laughs> tough one. Um, I'll I'll say Kelnick just because I do think that the talent level's still there. I think that it's become a complete head case with him. And while he's dropped significantly in rankings, I do think the the talent level hasn't changed with him. And I think there's some tweaks that he can make, and he just needs some confidence. Other guys, I mean, you look, and Adele just strikes out way too much. Duran, like, he's terrible in the field. Like, he doesn't really do much at the plate. Sanchez strikes out too much. So if I have to buy one, I'm probably buying Kelnick just because I know the talent level – I think there's a chance that he's more than a quad A player. And I can't really say that for some of the other ones. So I would lean that way. That's fair. So with me, I kind of have three groupings here. So I have two that I'd be okay buying on right now. One's kind of like in the middle. I went by, I'm not 100% out on. And then there's two that I'm pretty much out on right now. So the one in the middle is Jesus Sanchez. I think he's just going to be a solid power, low average type. And, you know, you can, you know, he'll be in Miami, so you can kind of make that work. He'll probably get, still get the reps long term. But, you know, maybe he's only like a 230 guy that maybe gets you 25 home runs and that still has some value in deeper formats. You know, maybe he's like Seth Brown without any speed, which is, you know, not a sexy profile by <laughs> any means, but. You know, it can have some value in deeper formats or if it gets hot. You saw him early in the year have that two, three-week stretch where he was, like, you know, one of the hottest hitters in baseball. So, I think he's kind of in the middle. Like, I think he's, this is what he is. And, you know, if, if you if you need that and you know, if, if you find value in that in deeper formats, fine. And then the two that I would consider buying on, obviously, price would be very low. I don't have a high level of confidence in any of these guys. The two would be Kalnick and Jaron Duran. Duran's as at least – shown a little bit here you know he's got like you know a barrel rate around uh what was it go back over to that tab barrel rate is you know eight percent hard hits 39-1 he's shown some power he's got good speed and i think he has a chance i think the Red Sox will give him another chance next year we'll see how the offseason goes but i think this one where there's still you know still something there you know there's still some skill like same thing with kelnick i 100 percent agree it's definitely in his head and he's still hitting pretty well in AAA, which is, you know, what he's done for the last two years now. So those were the two, if the price was low enough, I would buy on. And then obviously by the fact, the two that are I'm pretty much out on are Joe Adele and Vidal Brujan. The power just hasn't come along with, with Brujan. And, you know, with Tampa Bay, you, ha- you have to stand out with the bat to be a full-time player with them. Even if you're just like a meh bat, like you're gonna be a platoon guy, or you know, obviously you know, we all know how Tampa Bay works. There's you know maybe three or four guys in that lineup that are full time guys. You know we're talking about you know the Rosarena, Wander Franco, uh, low kind. I don't not even low lows. They've even platooned low at times. So but this shows you, you know, if you're not gonna stand up with the bat, you're not gonna be a full time guy with them. This is how they operate and. Bruhan, I think it's a stretch for him to ever be that impact bat. Like the speed is still there, but maybe he's just a, a backup, you know, utility type of guy, that pinch runner. I think that might be his path, and that's just not really fantasy valuable. And then Joe Adele, 
I think it's very telling. They're not the Angels are not playing Joe Adele now. Like, there's nothing to play for in Los Angeles. They're out of. I don't even know if they're eliminated yet. If not, they're damn close to it. And there's like this Vince playing Mickey Moniac more than Joe Adele. So that's very telling to me that the Angels won't even play him right now. So maybe they are, you know, out on Joe Adele. And obviously they know they've seen him and know him a lot better than, you know, Chris and I or anyone listening to this podcast. So if, if they don't want to play him, why should we want to play him? And yeah, he's, he's, he can put on a show in batting practice. I've seen that firsthand on the AFL. I've seen Joe Adele hit some absolute tanks and we've seen it. And when he gets a hold of one in the game, he can really crank it. And he's a great athlete, but you know, baseball is more than just being strong and a good athlete. There's a lot of intangibles, a lot of, you know, those, those, you know, things that go into it that aren't just strength and athleticism based. And he doesn't quite have those. And I was kind of holding out hope that he would, but at this point, uh, you'd have to give them to me for free. I won't trade you anything of value. Maybe I'd give you a good, you know, FYPD pick. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, that's kind of where I am on, on both those guys. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the Performance 4.0 Package. Join over 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code TOOLSHED at manscaped.com. If you've ever been grooming below the waist and had an accident, you know it's never a good thing. So Manscaped's here to help, and Manscaped will help your confidence. The Performance 4.0 package has arrived. It's a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, the Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the trimmer, the future of grooming, and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. I'm completely blown away by the performance and the craftsmanship of this trimmer. This fourth generation features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to help reduce those accidents, thanks to its advanced skin-safe technology. It's also waterproof and has a 4,000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves. Thought that was great. But Manscaped wants to take your grooming game to the next level with the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology to help reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. The Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. Manscaped even throws in two free gifts in the 4.0 package for you with the Manscaped boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. So bring your comfort and boxers to another level. It's time to take care of yourself. Go to manscaped.com, get 20% off, plus free shipping worldwide using the code TOOLSHED. That's right, don't miss out on this exclusive opportunity to get 20% off and free shipping using the code TOOLSHED. All right, welcome back from the break. Getting over into the risers now. Let's start with the pitchers as usual. You got two names here to start the list for pitchers that I always both jumped into the ace kind of rankings territory here for me. I know at least one of these guys is for Chris, probably the other. We'll see. But Zach Gallon from the Diamondbacks and Spencer Strider from Chris's Atlanta Braves. 
it's it's right with Strider. There's a wide, wide, wide range of opinions on Strider. You know, when I put my rankings out on Monday this week, and then uh, I believe it was yesterday, either yesterday or you know, I think it was maybe Wednesday that I tweeted out just my top twenty dynasty pitcher rankings, and Strider was usually the SP thirteen or SP fourteen, so still in that top fifteen kind of ace range. And within five minutes of each other, I had two comments: one saying that the Spencer Strider disrespect was real. And then another one saying that I was comically high on Strider. So that this shows you like, and that and that's fair because he's had elite, elite production, but it's only been over, what has it been, like 20 starts or so this year. So I can see where people would fall on both ends of the spectrum. I tried balancing that with performance, projection, track record, which is kind of how I do a lot of my rankings. It's, it's a mix of all of that. So with these two, Chris... I'm sure you have Strider at least, I mean, uh, Gallon at least top 15 for pitchers, probably top 10. I know, I know you're a big Gallon guy as well. Do you have Strider top 15 as well for your, in terms of pitching rankings? Um, I'm pretty sure. Let me uh, filter it by um, just pitchers. Um, I'm sure I've you got have Gallon there. Yeah, I have them back-to-back actually oh, Okay. In, in rankings overall. I've got that tier um, – and so it's Gallon and then Strider and then Manoa all kind of back to back. And they're 42, 43, 44 in the rankings. So that puts them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. So 11th and 12th overall in my pitcher rankings. Okay. So, yep. Uh, pretty high on both. And I, I had a tough time picking between the two. Gallon's, yeah. uh, Gallon's just been so underrated of how good that he really is. Right. And it, I don't think we've talked about it enough of what he's done this year with a 2.50 ERA. I mean, the strikeout rate at 26.5%, very solid. I mean, dead on the number, 20% K minus BB rate, like really good stuff. It's exceptional to see the improvements that he's made with the walk rate this year while maintaining the strikeout rate as well. He's lived in the zone a little bit more, but still missing bats and absolutely love to see that. So Gallon, it just looks like who – he was outside of last year. Yeah. Last year was horrible, but I mean, he's a, a 310 career ERA, including a 430 ERA last year over 121 innings. So this is the gallon that I think we all expected at one point. Like he's right back in the range where I had him prior to 2021, right around the 40 overall range. I, I do think he's an ace. He's 27 years old. He's really stinking good. And Strider, on the other hand, and he could, I think Strider could ascend even further than this because of the strikeout rate. He does walk a little bit more than Gallon, but it's okay because he has a 30% K minus BB rate this year with the dominant 38% strikeout rate, as I mentioned. He limits hard contact extremely well. He's the use of his arsenal is just very impressive, even though it's pretty much just a fastball slider mix. He blows it by everybody. I mean, it's ridiculous what Strider's done this year, and he's 23. So it's hard to really expect him to, you know, fall off. I, I mean, yeah, there may be some regression. I don't think he's going to be pitched to a like a 272 ERA like he has this year and a, a 100 whip. But I mean, you look at the numbers and they don't lie a 24 Sierra, a 175 FIP. Like it's just ridiculous stuff that Strider's done this year. And the crazy thing is he may not even win rookie of the year because his teammate, Michael Harris, but 
and we're not here to talk about Michael Harris, but both these well, guys have been really good. Actually, we are just we not are quite, not not quite not yet. in the pitcher range, <laughs> <laughs> not quite yet. Though it'll be about fifteen minutes or so. We'll, we'll get into uh, Michael Harris. We absolutely will get into Michael Harris, and he deserves it. But yeah, it you know right now I have Gallon a couple spots ahead of Strider, but I think they're all in that similar range. We look here. Yeah, I have Strider forty fourth overall, and I have Gallon thirty fourth overall. So if if you want the best combination of you know ceiling and, and kind of safety you'll go gallons i think gallon is i think like following a you know aaron nola type of path here where he's never going to be like a top five arm but he's he can be top 10 top 12 consistently year in year out and we've seen that he's had an era under three in three of his four years outside of last year like chris mentioned so the the consistency is there you know the blend of pitches the both sides of the plate is there much more diverse arsenal than Strider, but if you want sexy, if you want the higher upside, then I have no issue going Strider here. And I like I kind of think Gallon is kind of got settled into this range, like the seven to twelve range. I think that's kind of like you'll know, give or ten, give or take a couple spots either way. It's kind of where Nola's been for the most part. So I think that's where he'll settle in. I don't really see Gallon ever being top five. He doesn't quite have that level of upside. But Strider does, and we talked about it. The fastball is elite. The slider is even better, and the changeup, even though he only throws it like five percent of the time, but nine percent to left-handed batters. You know, he's only throwing it nine times total to righties. It's also has like he's an elite pitch. Like believe it or not, even though he doesn't throw that often, like I know we mentioned this before, but overall that pitch has a one thirty-six batting average against two twenty-seven slug. And a 47.5% whiff rate. This doesn't throw it that often, but the slider is arguably one of the best in baseball, if not the best. And it's almost kind of like a uh, Jacob deGrom type of arsenal. Obviously, he's not Jacob deGrom, but you know, deGrom has lived on basically fastball slider for a while. And, you know, we kind of preach against two pitch guys for the most part. But that one little caveat is if those two pitches are as elite as, you know, deGrom's are. As Striders are, where Striders, you know, he's averaging 98-2 on the, on the four-seamer, 208 batting average against, 27.5% whiff rate, you know, mid-80 slider. Well, I already mentioned the metrics on that. Or maybe I didn't. 141 batting average against, 180 slug, 52-3 whiff rate. Those are two elite, elite offerings. So if he, I think he can go to that top five. I think he can be where we're, we're talking about, you know, Dylan Cease and – you know, even though he's much different, but just in that range, Sandy Alcantara and Garrett Cole, it's like he can get up in that range, absolutely. I'm just not quite ready to put him there yet. Can he get there? Absolutely. Like Chris mentioned he's limited hard contact very well, misses bats on an elite clip, like everything's there. So if you want to get the guy that's still going to rise even more, go Strider. Like, there's no wrong answer here. There really isn't. Uh, let's see who's next on the list here. All right, some guys that are a little bit further down. Those are obviously the two big ones here. But two guys that are like right around top 100 ish, give or take, Framber Valdez and Tristan Sticks McKenzie. Now these are guys that I've always you know liked to some extent, but now with Valdez, I always thought he kind of was overperforming in the past. You know, wondered where the K's would be with him and McKenzie. It's just been the durability with him. He hasn't he has yet to show up until this year that he could be durable in the back injuries with the frame. That always worried me, but Framber is on a – is he, he? he's still on that streak, isn't he? Yeah, so when's the last time he didn't have a quality start? 
It was. You really gotta scroll up here. <laughs> Last time we did have a quality start was April nineteenth. <laughs> that was his third start of the year. That's crazy. So all but two starts, and so he had a uh, quality start in his first one. None in the second or third starts against Arizona and the Angels. Angels of all teams. And then since then, so starting with his April 25th start against Texas, he's had a quality start in every single outing since then. He just puts up 30 to 40 innings every month. Now, even even the you know the K rate has been pretty solid this year, or at least up a little bit, up to 23.2%. So you know, that's kind of so what I didn't go higher on him. I probably could have, but just the K rate is just still kind of middle of the road. K-minus walk rates, middle of the road, but the ERA is 250. The volume is there. I think, is he second in the majors in innings pitch? He's at least top five. I know Sandy's ahead of him. I know that. Sandy's, I think, going to lead the league every Sandy's year. He's already over 200, I think. Is, did he already go past 200 yeah. now? Uh, yeah. Framber's at 179. I'm sure you know, there's like maybe Garrett Cole's up uh, there. Miles Mikolas is the only other one ahead of him, 181. Oh, Miles. Okay. He, yeah. He's quietly had a good year, too. Nobody really talks about it. But, you know, back when I was uh, doing the SP rankings, which I've kind of stopped now because it's you know end of the season, not really much value left in doing those with trade deadlines passed. He was a guy that I kind of look at like last 30 days. And every time it was like he'd have like a 2 5 ERA, then like a 3 2 ERA. And it was you know, always a good amount of innings as well. So he's been quietly performing very well this year. But, you know, back to Framber again. So, He's had a better year than you know in the past, like three three fourteen last year, three fifty seven two years ago. Obviously, ERA is down to two fifty this year, but at the same time, he still has kind of that middle of the road K rate, K minus BB rate, everything like that. So, I moved him up, but I'm not ready. That people were like, kind of comparing him to like the top fifty guy. I don't know. Are you there on on Framber? Is he top fifty ish for you? I think I had him. Uh, let's see, where did I have him? Uh, I'm 103, and I moved him up 55 spots from 158. Maybe I'm still a bit low on him, but I'd still rather have, you know, looking at my list, you know, guys like, you know, Shane Boz. I'd rather have Luis Castillo. I'd rather have, you know, Glasnow, probably still Bueller, Webb, Musgrove. Those guys are like the next, you know, handful of guys in front of him. Where, where are you at on, on Framber here? I've got him 75th. And... Okay, so a bit higher. Yeah, I just think when you look at the product of what he does, it's really good, even without the Ks. I mean, he keeps the ball on the ground so much and consistently, which, you know, last year's ground ball rate was insanely high, and we wondered, could that continue? And it has to an extent. And, you know, he has the lowest home run per nine of any qualified starter, which is impressive. And so I can live with a 23% strikeout rate when you get everything else that you get out of him keeping the ball on the ground so efficiently, he gets enough outs. I mean, his CSW is fine, you know, 29%. That's a solid rate. He gets, he's gotten more swings out of his own this year too, which I think has been beneficial. And I would say overall it's legit. I mean, his next start, he will go to try to break DeGrom and Bob Gibson's record of 26 straight quality starts. Like that's just absolutely insane that he could – do that but the consistency just year over year i mean you look and since 2020 you look at the pitcher he's been in a sub three era and a, a one one six whip like i just can't argue with the results anymore and i'm just gonna buy in even though you know we are looking at somebody that's gonna be 29 next year i still think he's got plenty of uh 
life ahead of him. And the Astros just do special stuff with arms. So yeah, I've yeah. I've been impressed with what I've seen. That they do. Yeah, you know, I probably could have gone a bit higher, but some of those other names I mentioned. We would you rather have, you know, Framber or like a Joe Musgrove? I have Musgrove about ten spots overall ahead of him. How about uh, Framber or Logan Webb? Um, I have Framber ahead. I can. I already know Bueller. As you, you alluded to where you have mm-hmm. Bueller. How about a uh, Kevin Gaussman? I have Gaussman about. 15 spots higher all right so we're in that range yeah. uh yeah, like a luis castillo i've gone pretty high on castillo so um castillo i've got uh 55 now so okay yeah. so about 20 spots ahead yeah so let me jump into this uh real quick i know this is kind of off topic but i was having this conversation the other day on twitter between the the young seattle would you rather have luis castillo or uh, george kirby moving forward you don't have to get into it. Just like, who would you rather have out of those two? Um, Long term, probably Kirby, but in the okay. immediate win now, probably Castillo. I trust a little more, but That's they're fair. close. Uh, I think I think I know where you have those two, so it's probably probably a good stopping point there. But yeah, I probably could have gone a bit higher on, on Framber. Like the c- consistency is there. I think there's the opportunity for more K's too. Like you know, you and I both mentioned this, like throwing your best pitch more often. Obviously, that sinker is crucial to the success, but. And that's even up a mile and a half this year, which has been great for him. But maybe throwing that curveball a bit more because that curveball has been pretty good the last two years. You know, last year, 125 batting average against, 196 slug, 44-4 whiff. This year, 144, 245 respectively. And he throws it 28% of the time. Last year was 31%. Maybe if he got that up into like the 35 to 40% range, you, you can even see that key rate tick up a few percentage points there. We've seen it happen with like Lazardo and other guys like that, throwing that best pitch, you know, more frequently. We'll see, but yeah, definitely, you know, I'll, pro- I'll probably continue to go higher unless he just completely falls off a cliff here the next month. He'll, he'll move probably, you know, up another 25, 30 spots in my next update. And then McKenzie, while he is pitching well at the surface, 305 ERA in 165 in the third innings. 097 whip. Some of the other metrics aren't really that good. They look at barrel rate is up over 10%. One of the ERA indicators are, you know, up around four. X ERA is 385. You know, he's still giving up you know, a fair amount of hard contact. K rate is down about 3%. So while I, I'm glad he's pitching well, I, I actually I do have a couple of shares of him this year. But I got to wonder how long – Well, I still have the durability cons- concerns because I don't think back issues just magically go away. I think they're always there to a degree and always can always, always can pop up at any time, I should say, more often than most. But you know, some of the metrics are hinting that he hasn't been quite as good. So I might you know, entertain selling high this offseason. Obviously, don't give him away because he's still you know, a good pitcher regardless, even if he's overperforming. And you won't get good value for him, but I would at least entertain, kick the tires, see what you can get. Um, but that's probably the, the route I would go with uh, McKenzie. Yeah, I can see it, but it just depends on what you get for him. He's a tough one to rank. Um, I end up with him around like 125 overall. Um, I have him? But he was just really tough to try to to peg because there's, you know, of some volatility in the profile. I mean, you look and with everything in the, he's running a crazy low Babbitt, which he has for most of his career, which is I find interesting. He's he's, you know, historically 
in 318 MLB innings, a 228 BABIP, which is really low. His strand rate is up over 80%, which does lead me to believe there's some regression. The encouraging sign is that there's the walk rate has gone down, as has the strikeout rate from last year. So if the strikeout rate can tick up and the walk rate stay at a similar spot, then you know we could be looking at a legit arm. Important to remember he just turned 25, so he's still young, but – you know, I do think there's going to be some volatility with them, which does have me a bit concerned. So if you can sell and cash out high, then I would. But it just depends on what you get in return. Yeah, no, I think we're a uh, similar line of thinking there. Uh, last three names on the list that kind of popped up a bit more this year. Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, both from Tampa Bay, and Justin Steele from the Chicago Cubs here. You know, kind of similar you know, arms – in terms of like where they were valued earlier this year, where they're kind of valued now. I don't, you know, we have to go super deep into these guys. We still got a lot of hitters to get to here, Chris, but is there any of these three that you that kind of stick out to you that you feel more confident in kind of maintaining their 2022 success than the others? I mean, probably for me, it's uh drew Rasmussen. You look at his second half and how good it's been. I mean, a two seven, one ERA over 54 second half innings, has been really impressive with 52 Ks. It's not going to blow you away with strikeouts, but a strikeout and inning, very solid. Doesn't walk a ton of guys either. Yeah, the stuff is is really good, and you know he he grades out extremely well on Eno Saris's uh you know pitching plus model, and always did like even for the season, like he he graded really well, and that was kind of something that always stood out. I just didn't fully buy in enough, but he's been a uh, insanely good overall when you look at just the combination of everything that he brings to the table so rasmussen is one that i think could really stick next year more so than springs or steel i you know, honestly i like kind of all these guys to a degree and you know, they're all kind of so rasmussen is 27 springs is 29 steel is 27 so they're all in, the, in that late 20s range Are they all lefties too they're all lefties aren't they? no rasmussen's no, Rasmussen's not. um but you look at all of the metrics for Springs are actually pretty good. Like, he doesn't excel in any one area, but limits hard contact pretty well. Now, the walk rate's, you know, gone down this year, as has the K rate, but still 26.6%. Uh, and then Steele has been maybe the most flashy of the three. You know, he's got a really low barrel rate. It's only, oh, where was it? Let me get the right tab here. Only a 3.9% uh, barrel rate. But he does have you know a bit of a higher walk rate, ten point one for his career, nine point eight this year. But you know, solid strikeouts. I think there's the ability for a bit more strikeouts there. You know, he's got you know he can miss bats with a with a slider. You know, is primarily and that's gone up as the year has gone on as well. But you know, I I don't know. There's not really any that stand out. I I feel confident or at least fairly confident in all three of these guys. Like there's not a ton of you know, red flag, you know, regression, red flags for any of these three. I mean, yeah, the, you know, ERA indicators might be a bit higher than our service ERAs currently are, but not by much. It's like, you know, 0.3, 0.4, that range is still like, you know, low, low to mid threes for all these guys. So I think all of them have some staying power, maybe not, not to this degree, but, you know, they all can miss bats at, at a solid clip. I think the highest upside is probably steel, but he also could, you know, you could argue he has the, the lowest floor of the bunch as well. And, you know, at least Steele has the opportunity, you know, it looks like the Rays are looking, look, they'll stick with these two in the rotation as well. So 
I think there's good staying power with, with all three of these guys, honestly. If I had to pick one, I might lean steel, but I don't have any like strong opinion you know, either way uh, on any of these guys. But I think they're all solid uh, buys right now, or solid guys that could stay uh, at their current level, I should say. All right, moving over to hitters here. We got nine. Yeah, nine names on the list here. We'll read them off here, then we'll kind of go into each of these guys a bit to varying levels. Michael Harris, the second, Andres Jimenez, Randy Arozarena, Vinny Pasquantino, Von Grissom, Nathaniel Lowe, Christian Walker, Stephen Kwan, and Jake McCarthy. So really a uh, an interesting blend of players here. Now, let's start with the two KC guys first. I'm not saying the two uh, Atlanta guys first with Harris and Grissom. You know, Harris, I think, Chris, you were the one that suggested a month and a half ago or so. Like, what's the gap between Harris and Robert? And I think that gap, you know, maybe if you did a poll back then, I, which we might have. We probably yeah, I did, did a poll. Do it. I got to go find it. I, I'd be willing to guess that the results were eh, around 70-30 Robert. You do it now, they're probably 50-50. I mean – you saw some people that were, you know, we obviously seen what Robert can do. And I still think that the, maybe the ceiling is a tad, a smidge higher, but Harris has a incredibly high ceiling in his own right. Now you said the other, and you had a, a good tweet about a week or so ago, which I actually just used in my article on the hitting risers and followers, but showing some of the improvements that Harris has made in terms of, you know, the, the swing and strike rate going down, chase rate going down, you know, contacts going up, stuff like that. So he's been making those improvements that you want to see from a rookie as his first season goes on here. And Robert has made those improvements as well, but he just can't stay on the field. And maybe, you know, next year we can get a, a healthy Robert, see what he can do, because he has, you know, top five upside. And I think Harris is not too far behind there. But at this point, you know, I went up to 28 overall with Harris, you know, right between – Freddie Freeman and Garrett Cole, right between some a couple of veterans there. I might not have gone high enough because I'm looking up, and I think and I'd Robert 22 for reference. He's dropped he dropped a handful of spots from like the 13 14 range. I might rather have Michael Harris than Wander Franco, who I currently have at 24. Yeah, I mean I think it's pretty fair. Um, I found the poll. Uh, Robert won, and this was this poll was on August 14th, so a month ago. Okay. And Robert won 65.5% to 34.5%. And the comments were, Robert, not close, not even close at all. <laughs> all kind of <laughs> yeah. funny comments to see. Yeah. And even then, like, Harris was, even at that point, Harris was still in, like, full breakout, in my opinion. Like, he was dominating at that point. Um, it was, The comments were kind of funny. The, just recency bias. You know, it's Robert, not even close. Uh, all these comments are, are pretty funny because I don't. I, I agree. I don't. I don't think it's like crazy. I think it's close, but to say it's not close at all is pretty insane, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, when do we start talking about Michael Harris as a like top fifteen dynasty guy? If this continues, then he certainly has got to push in that range because. Yeah. He hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. I mean, he's 18 home runs, 16 steals in 366 plate appearances. That's easily pacing for, you know, 30-30 with a 310 average. And they said he had no power. Everybody talked about no power. He's got 241 ISO. He's got a 900 OPS. Like, 
the improvements have been tangible. Like the ground ball rate has been going down. He's been striking out less and walking more. But if you want to look at the overall line, that's fine and negate the improvements that a 21-year-old's making at the major league against top flight pitching when he only saw 43 games above high A. It's like, of course, there was an adjustment period. And even in the adjustment period, he was dominating. So I just think Harris is just a stud. What do you, what do you say his ISO was? 245? It's 241, yeah. 241. Okay. Put it in perspective. Vlad Jr.'s ISO is 207. <laughs> so I'm not saying, like, obviously, I'd, you know, Homer and Derby, I would take Vlad over Harris. Right. But that just shows like Harris has good pop. Maybe yeah. he's not like, you know, 35, 40 home runs, but he's a guy that can get 25, 30 a year. Absolutely. And be close to that. And, and you know, in uh, steals as well, he's always been a plus or better runner. He's shown those improvements. Yeah. I think that's definitely, you know, I think for me, like, there won't be like a huge, he'll probably, if he keeps this up, he'll have another jump by end of season, a huge one. But if he comes out next year and, you know, first month of the year, he's doing the same thing. I think that like that first in-season update, I think that's like, all right, it's time to go top the Fiends. Time to put him up there with, you know, kind of where, uh, you know, Mookie's in that range, yeah. Devers in that range, kind of like that 13, 14, 15 range. I think Trout's still in that range. So I think that'll be time because I think he could pass Wander. I mean, that might even happen by the end of this year. I think he could pass Bo Bichette. You know, he could pass all the other the Machados and Rileys and the couple of arms I have up in that range. Yeah, he's definitely uh, – <laughs> I can see him going as high as like, would it surprise you year from now he's ranked higher than like Joe Ram? No, I don't think so. I mean, Joe Ram's twelve for me right now. Yeah, and like okay, so people may think it's crazy, but what does he do that differently than Bobby Witt Jr. Except hit for better average. I mean, from a straight power speed standpoint, like gotta think they end up pretty similar if Harris had played all year. So. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to end up being better than Bobby Wood Jr., but at least you had to consider that factor that right. you know Harris is doing it and with a much better batting average than Bobby Witt's doing. So, yeah, and a small sample, but 360 some plate appearances is it's pretty not, good sample size. It's not tiny. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think I'd still give slight power speed edge to Witt, but Harris is a better pure hitter. I do think Witt's average can get up there. I don't think he's yeah. a 250 guy. But I'd probably say end of their careers, I'd say Harris will probably hit for 15 or so points higher. I think Whit maybe be like a 270 guy, Harris 285, something like that. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be closer than people think. So I think you got to really start considering Harris to be one of the elite dynasty options here. But uh, we got to pick it up here. <laughs> over an hour here. Uh, Grissom, uh, I moved him up into right around the top 74. Do I have him exactly? Seven, uh, 72 range, and like, like I mentioned in my article, he doesn't have any he doesn't stand out in any one area, but he's a very good pure hitter, you know, 280 plus up a guy that can get around 2020 annually, maybe a little bit more, you know, power if he can kind of add some more bulk to that frame. Do you, do you think now is a good time to maybe cash out on Grissom, or do you think there's another level to be had? It depends. I think the hype for some people is probably too high, but you keep it in reasonable check and expect him to be a, a top 100 guy pretty regularly. And then I think that you kind of hold on to him. And I think you're right. He's never going to be flashy in any one way or another. There's still plenty of room to grow in this body. He's got a, he's got a baseball body. There's really no other way to put it. And it still looks like it has some projection left, which is crazy to even say, but yeah, I could certainly see him adding some power 
five home runs, five steals right now, and 121 plate appearances, which is better than I expected for him in his first major league stint, especially similar circumstances where he just didn't – He, I mean, he was in high A most of the year, got a, got some reps in double A, and then they called him up. Obviously, because they needed him. Albies is going to be back in a couple of days. He's going to move out to left field. That could be interesting also because his eligibility next year, like he's going to have, you know, second base, middle infield, outfield. Like that'll be quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think Grissom's going to be, he could be. I think he could be a 300 hitter, but I don't think he does. I think he's probably 275 hitter at the big league level. But you look at what he's done from a power speed standpoint, and it's been really good. And even though it's been quiet, like you kind of extrapolate that out and, pretty similar to to Grissom if you get similar plate appearances at least so 15 15 and Grissom's at 18 16 but still uh pretty solid there so yeah I think 20 home runs is probably a good expectation maybe the steals do trend downward with age but still he's he's a, a good runner on the base pass even if he's not the fastest runner right he's, he's still at least be probably double digits there so yeah I, I think this is I think 75th ish where, where did you have him did you did I miss that did you mention that um it was Around there, let's see. Where are you? I think that seventy-five range is a good spot for him, and maybe he won't jump up in like top fifty anytime soon. But I think he has some staying power where he is for sure. Yeah, I'm at sixty-eight. So okay, so yeah, right, right in that. You're already. I think you're yeah, four spots ahead of me. Um, let's go over to the you know, and real quick, Randy Rosarena. I think I don't know. I don't know if this is like a negative stigmatism about Randy Rosarena now. I don't know. Maybe just you know we expected more out of him after the you know, obviously that twenty 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 what year was that playoff run? It was a twenty twenty year. I'm pretty yeah, sure. yeah it was twenty twenty. That's what I thought it was. Okay, yeah. um, so obviously maybe he hasn't quite lived up to that. But look at what he's doing this year. He needs one more home run to get twenty thirty. He's at nineteen home runs, thirty steals right now, two sixty five average, three thirty OBP, four fifty slug. And you look at what is it since the All Star break. 286, 359, 486, 7, and 11 home runs and steals. So he's, you know, 20, 30 guy that I think maybe we moved. I know I moved him down too much. I, I moved him back up here. I now have him. Where is he? Why am I not seeing? Oh, the 43 right now, uh, kind of up uh, right behind for outfielders, Eloy Jimenez, who I moved up again. Eloy's been, I think he's Eloy. I, I tweeted this out yesterday, second in baseball behind. Uh, Aaron Judge, obviously, in WRC Plus and MOBA since the All-Star break. He's at like 366 or something like that, which is tied with Nathaniel Lowe, who we'll talk about here in a second. But, yeah, Arozarena, I think he's just quietly doing his thing, and I think he's now a bit undervalued. I think so. I think that the expectation was probably too high, and then last year people were disappointed when he went 2020 with a 274 average because the strikeout rate was 28% you know, this year he's walking less, but striking out less also, putting more balls in play. And I think this is just kind of who he is. Like, I think he's going to be 20 home runs pretty consistently. And then, you know, 20-plus stolen bases. I know he has 30 this year, but we can probably expect 20 moving forward. And I do think there's value to be had with that. And you look at look at how we value Tim Anderson. Anderson was always a high draft pick going 2020. Obviously, the batting average is a little better. But, you know, a Rose Arena probably has more power and even more speed. I won't say he has more speed than Anderson, but he's going to steal more because then the White Sox don't run. But right, um, yeah, I, I do think Rosarena is quietly just a good player that just doesn't get the love he deserves. 
They don't run because uh, Larusa can't stay awake long enough to let them run. That's just goes <laughs> off in the dugout. It's too fast for him. He needs to go slow. They need to get rid of him. Oh my, oh my word. He's not a good fit for there. But no. uh, anyway, yeah, I think yeah, Rosarina definitely undervalued for sure. Uh, moving over to the two, uh, what? So we have three first basemen on the list here: Vinny Pasquantino, Nathaniel Lowe, and Christian Walker. Here now, Walker has he's been hitting close to three hundred uh, this year. Still with that big power. A lot of good metrics in the, in the plate approach as well, and he's kind of a guy that always he had metrics better than what the average was. So, I, well, I didn't think he hit 300. I'm not like completely surprised he's finally hitting for a better average. And then you know Nathaniel Lowe here, you know Chris, I think you're even a bit higher on him than I was. We talked with him, you know, maybe a handful of weeks ago, comparing him to Josh Lowe, and I actually moved him quite a bit ahead of Josh Lowe. Because look at what he's done this year. You know, quality of conduct is, you know, well, not elite. It's always been very good, both in terms of bail rate, EVs, hard hit rates. K rate has gotten down to 22.1% this year. The walk rate's down a little bit more as well. So he's making, he's a little bit more aggressive. But at the same time, he's putting the ball in play more. So the quality of contact is still very good. I think he's just going to be an annual kind of 280, 25 guy that, you know, gets you you know, 160 plus combined runs in RBI, maybe even, a, you know, the, the rogue steal here and there. So I think he's a guy that I don't think can go much higher from where I have him now. I think like 80 was 83. I think I had him. So maybe that's kind of a, a good spot for him, but I think he can stay there moving forward. I agree. Um, he really had a couple things that needed to fix and it was really the launch angle ground ball rate. Just not hitting enough line drives to maintain the high batting average and then the fly balls to really have the consistent home run power. And we've seen that you know, script flipped a bit. As you mentioned, always hit the ball kind of hard. This Texas lineup should continue to get better. And so for low, I do think that he's going to, we're going to see the increase in the running RBIs. Is this, I mean, they've got Seeger and Simeon now, and they've got Josh Young, they've got others on the way. So. I'd expect them to have a better lineup next year. I mean, maybe they even spend more money. I mean, we saw it last offseason. Like, are we? Are they just going to waste those contracts on Seager and Simeon? Are they going to actually be players and try to do something? So there's certainly a chance this lineup could get better. It's been a good move for them this year. And, yeah, I agree. I think Lowe's legit, and I still think he's a bit undervalued. And you can get him a discount in Dynasty, and probably be, he'll go cheaper in you know 2023 drafts than he probably should. Absolutely. And with, with Vinny P, I think there is that next level for him. And he's already kind of shown that where he has that rare blend of, as Savant tells me that I can't find his player page. You definitely can pull it up, Savant. Uh, let's try that again. All right. I can't pull up his player page saying 404 not found, whatever. But I already know, you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but the elites, you know, the walk rate is elite. K rate is elite. Contact metrics. Quality product's very good. I think he's – I have him top 50 overall, 54th overall. But, you know, he's right behind Paul Goldschmidt, who's hard for me to rank because he's 35, but, you know, one of the best hitters in baseball this year. I think you could see him get up. Pete Alonzo's at, at 30. I could see him getting up in the Pete Alonzo range. He doesn't quite have the power of Alonzo, but he's a better pure hitter than Pete Alonzo. I think that might offset. So I could see him getting up. Maybe even pushing top twenty-five, not not like Vladdy range, but maybe in that you know first base, you know three-four range. What do, what do you think, Chris? 
I do think it's possible. I mean, I, you look at the overall line and probably be disappointed, but it's not a good representation of who he is based on the type of contact that he makes. As you mentioned, the contact rate's pretty elite, and the zone contact at 92% is really good as well. I think the biggest thing for him, he's really just underperformed like from a home run to fly ball standpoint where well, for how hard he hits the ball, I mean, 12.3% does feel a little low. Now, Kansas City can be a tough place to hit from time to time, but you look and the plate discipline's so good. And I just really do think that he could be a 30 home run guy that pushes batting average close to 300 some seasons. So a lot of yeah. value to be had there with, with Vinny P. Yeah. So I think there's like that, that next range, you know, 15 or so more points in average, another five, you know, another handful of home runs, maybe a little more counting stats with that. You know, I think, I think that Casey's line to be pretty solid. It, it already is showing to be pretty solid now with all these young guys kind of being added into the mix with wit and, and Prado and Melendez and, and Vinny P and Michael Massey. And there's, you know, only more to come. So I think that uh, could be a, a sneaky good lineup for a while. And he'll be a big part of that. All right, Chris, we're, we're going pretty long here. So, you know, the remaining names on the list here, Andres Jimenez, uh, Stephen Kwan and Jake McCarthy. Any, uh, any thoughts on these three? I just love the progression that Jimenez has made. I think we were a year early. A lot of people thought it was going to be 2021 and not 2022. But he's quietly had a great season with 16 home runs and 18 stolen bases, 300 average, 370 OBP. Jimenez is doing really everything you want to see. Cut the K rate below 20%. The contact is there. It's certainly improved this year. So uh, Andres Jimenez for me is an easy top 100 uh, dynasty guy that doesn't really get valued as such. And – I think he's going to be underrated, honestly, and probably another one you can get at a discount still where maybe the hype does catch up, but I'm not sure it, it gets to the level that it should because he's been so good. Yeah, because I have him 77 right now. Yeah. I, I think that the overall kind of package could be actually very comparable to Avon Grissom, but Grissom's kind of like that sexy, you know, the recency bias name, whatever you want to say. So – I think you can get Jimenez for even a bit better price and have a pretty similar player long-term. So I absolutely am on board with, with Jimenez for sure. And then Roku, I'll, I'll touch on Jake McCarthy here pretty quick because obviously he's been, you know, if you were able to get him, you know, in fab or pick him up, you have, you have daily transactions. If you ever just acquire him, you know, mid-season here before he's kind of been on a tear and give yourself a nice p- a pat on the back, you earned it with, with that move, <laughs> uh, adding him. The other one was – um uh, who's your, who's your big name that broke? Oh, like Joey Menezes. You know, yeah. Well, he's he's I'm I'm a little more you know less optimistic on Menezes, but with McCarthy, you know, I I don't think he's a 300 bat, and I don't think he's a 20 homer bat, which is kind of what he's on pace for. He's actually a 300 on the nose right now, but you know, there's the the quality of contact is you know it's not terrible, but it's not great. It's you know, slightly below average, I'd say overall, and the contact skills again are okay. I think he's more of a 270-ish type of hitter, you know, maybe 10, 12, 14 home runs in that range. But the speed is 100% legit. You saw him in the minor leagues always. I think he had like a 35 to 40 steal pace, you know, over 162 games in the minor leagues. He's a 99th percentile sprint speed in the major leagues, 18 steals in 285 plate appearances this year. I think he's a 30 steel guy. So 270, 12, 30, that gives me a lot of Tommy Edmond vibes. Edmond's shown more power lately, but you know, overall, that's kind of what Edmond's been for you know a good few years now. So so do I think he's going to be a like top 100 
probably not, but maybe, you know, top 150 for sure. I moved him up in, right inside 200, and as I think, like I said, I think there's some staying power here, but I don't think he's going to be a standout, but definitely a very good guy that will give you uh, definitely a nice boost in speed. All right, that's going to wrap us up, though. Went a little long here, but an hour 20, but a lot of fun names to talk about today, so I think this warranted a slightly longer episode. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, as I know Chris and I did. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at AirCross04. Chris is at RotoClegg, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon, of course. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. <laughs>